0: Thank you for joining me in this special edition of the Brian Sussman Show. You're in for a treat. You're about to meet Dr. Hurricane. Clearly, he is the world's foremost expert on hurricanes. He was the director of the National Hurricane Center for 13 years, longest serving director of the National Hurricane Center. He went on to become a very popular and wonderful meteorologist. For the CBS station in Houston, Texas, after that. But he remains on top of the meteorological scene, especially hurricanes, even today at the age of 92. He is Dr. Neil Frank, one of my meteorological heroes. This is a man I've been following from afar for many, many years, and I am blessed honored, privileged, humbled to say that he has actually endorsed my upcoming book, Climate Cult. What you're going to hear is part one of our interview with Dr. Neil Frank. We'll play a larger portion of the interview. In fact, we'll play the interview in its entirety in a few weeks. But I wanted to give you a snippet right now as he talks about hurricanes. You know, he began his career in the Air Force, and the Air Force trained him, allowed him to get his Master's in meteorology and then his Ph.D. in meteorology. But he got interested in hurricanes because the Air Force had stationed him in Okinawa, Japan. And he personally endured three typhoons. Same thing as a hurricane. Three typhoons. And that's really what piqued his interest when it came to hurricanes. As you know, the latest mantra from the climate change agenda is that there are more hurricanes than ever bigger hurricanes than ever, stronger hurricanes than ever. Dr. Frank in 2009 told the Washington Post that he thought the climate change agenda was a hoax. He believes that more than ever now because he's had a lot of time to dig into the debate. And when it comes to hurricanes, he would say the agendists are dead wrong. Let's pick, the,
1: let's pick up the interview from there. So now let's go to the hurricanes. Hurricane type storms form throughout the world. In the Pacific, we call them typhoons, and in uh, the Indian Ocean and down in Australia, they call them cyclones. Well, if you take a look at the number of hurricane type storms that form worldwide, there's about 47. Uh, we have pretty good records with satellites that go back 40 years. So what has been the trend in it? Well, it's been down. As a matter of fact, in 2021, there was only 37. And in 2022, there were only uh, 40. So if anything, there has been a downward trend. You know, Dr.
0: Frank, I just have to interject for a second because people need to understand this. The satellite didn't come into play until 1979. So in the 50s, 60s, and really the 70s, you're forecasting hurricanes based on ship observations, plane observations, you didn't have a lot to go
1: on. There's no question about it. And in those years, we became very sensitive to our weather patterns. And we went paid very close attention to uh, the the reports, particularly from the ships. And boy, we analyzed the data uh, from the surface to the top of the atmosphere, and we then, we made our own predictions of what we thought was going to happen in terms and and it was it was a real challenge but uh, the best thing i can tell you about it is we we became alive to what weather was doing in contrast today the meteorologists depend on a numerical model yeah they depend on the models you guys
0: were depending on, on real life observations but again i want to go back to this whole idea that we're seeing more hurricanes than ever, because that's what the climate activists will contend. Uh, We know from history that there have been some monster deadly storms in many, many years gone by. Uh, So talk to us about that contrast, the history compared to the present, um, the present dialogue that we get from the climate activists.
1: Well, the climate activists today are taking every major storm, whether it be winter or whether it be summer or whether it be hurricane, and they say, "Uh aha, that's an example of global warming. No, no, no. We've had major hurricanes throughout the history of uh, our records. In 1893, two major hurricanes made landfall in the United States, and both of them killed over 2,000 people. One of them was on uh, Hilton Head Island in South Carolina, and the other was uh, on the coastal areas of Louisiana. The strongest storm that has ever hit the United States as far as winds and as far as pressure occurred in 1935. A storm moved across the Bahama Islands. and when it left the westernmost Bahama Islands, it was a tropical storm. and 36 hours later it was the strongest storm that has ever hit the United States. So we have a long history of major, major hurricanes. Um, the, the trend today is say, ah, this storm has never occurred in the past. No, that's not true. Well, isn't it interesting? Uh,
0: Karl Marx said history means nothing. And I think the climate activist of today wants to erase the historical record
1: because it doesn't fit their agenda. Would you agree with that? Oh, there's no question about that. And there's a lot of the younger folks that are in meteorology today that don't know, uh, if they look in the past records, they don't know that there was problems in the observations in those years. Could you
0: explain to our audience why hurricanes are a necessary function of the global environment?
1: Yeah, that's very easy to do. Uh, in order to live on this planet, we have to mix the cold air in the northern latitudes with the warm air in the southern latitudes. Uh, if, it, if we don't have that mixing process, then we'd be in real trouble. Well, in the wintertime, winter storms do that mixing very well. I like to refer to winter storms as giant egg beaters, and they bring the cold air south into the tropics and the warm air north into the higher latitudes, and then everything works out very well. But in the summertime, the boundary between the colder polar air and the tropical air retreats way back up into northern Canada, and you get a big buildup of heat in the tropics you've got to get rid of that heat and mother nature has a very effective way of doing it and it's called the hurricane so when a hurricane forms it represents the tropical atmosphere boiling and when that that bubble of hot air moves into higher latitudes, we remove heat out of the tropics so hurricanes were not designed to create problems for mankind. Uh, I'm not sure it was ever intended that we would live on Galveston Island or we would (laughs) live on Long Island or whatever, on the coastal areas of of, of Georgia. But since we have decided to live live in those areas, we've created a hurricane problem, but I submit a lot of the hurricane problem is man-made.
0: When did you first hear about Human caused anthropogenic global warming. When did that, when did that topic first come to your attention?
1: Well, that came to my attention in the eighties, and there was a there was a real good friend of mine, Dr. Bill Gray. He was the meteorologist that started making predictions of the hurricane numbers in the in the, in the coming hurricane season. So he became quite famous for that. And he called me up, it, it was a incidentally, every summer he would come down and spend time at the hurricane center. And so he called me up and he said, look, this global warming is a mess. Now uh, you, you uh, I, I don't believe that it's, uh, it's happening. And you know, I'm a, I'm a meteorologist and specialized in tropical meteorology. I had uh, knowledge of these people, for example, man. I had knowledge that these people were making uh, alarmist statements about global warming, and I just trusted them. Uh, I figured that was their specialty. Okay. I, w- I would believe it. But Bill insisted. And he sent me a book, Patrick Michael's book, Uh, Sound and Fury. I think it's one of the first books that challenged global warming. And he said, you need to read this before I come down this summer. And so I did, and that's when I began to uh, challenge global warming. And so I've been watching the data very, very carefully for the last 25 or 30 years. And the data just doesn't support the alarmist statements that are being made. Now, Dr. Gray was a real character. I used to have him on my
0: radio program in San Francisco on a regular basis, and I met him at a couple of conferences. And he was, uh, he was a real live wire, that's for sure. But But all that said, Dr. Frank, he was extremely passionate about this global warming slash climate change debate.
1: No question about it. And it turns out that he was right, right on in spite of the fact that the meteorological community in general accepted the uh, alarmist statements
0: well okay so let's take that to the present i know from a past conversation with you you were telling me that you're you're of a mindset that there are a lot of people working in atmospheric science today they're working at universities they're working at think tanks etc who that they're just staying out of the fray. They've never researched it. They just want to do what they do That's on right. a daily basis and keep that paycheck coming in. They don't want to be bothered. There is that That's segment right. within the scientific community, correct?
1: Oh, there's no question about that. And the people that I worked with at the Hurricane Center, not one of them had gone back and done an analysis, a decent analysis, even reading some of the books that have been written. And there's been all kinds of, of incredible books that have been written by skeptics. I have in my personal file, your book, as well as some 30 other others. that all were written by uh, a, a very talented uh, meteorologist and questioning the whole uh, the whole alarmist uh, philosophy. And these people are just not spending time doing that. And so they just are like, well, I was in the 80s. I accepted that these other experts, they knew what they were doing. I just accepted it. But I'll tell you another uh, important factor is that if you then begin to voice your opinion and question the alarmists, you jeopardize your
0: career. Well, okay, that's where I wanted to go with this questioning, because a lot of scientists realize the funding is going to end if they become a contrarian to the global warming narrative, the climate change narrative, correct? Correct.
1: Absolutely, no question about that. Doctor Bill Gray was a classic example of that. He uh, he was being supported by NOAA with a lot of contracts for the work that he was doing in tropical meteorology. But the first time that he mentioned and challenged the alarmist position, all of his all of his funding dried up. Oh, I remember this well. In
0: 2011, he wrote a paper, a scathing report to the American Meteorological Society for their support of the global warming theory. And this was during the Obama years. Uh, The Obama administration literally cut him off. Isn't that amazing? And here he was, you know, he's at Colorado State University. He is the guy that everyone would turn to to get the hurricane forecast each year. So he was providing a public service to humanity, and they cut him off?
1: And they cut him off, no question about it. Now, what happened is then they transferred that responsibility to some meteorologists within NOAA where they could control what what they said about global warming. So I don't challenge their predictions of the hurricane activity in the coming season. But boy, they, uh, they are toeing the line about uh, the alarmants. Did you experience
0: that as well? Because you, after 13 years as director of the National Hurricane Center, then you went into television, working for the CBS station in Houston. I remember that very well. And you would right. be on the CBS Evening News with Dan Rather, whatever. There was a big hurricane. Um, but when you... Or did you, during your time on the air, did you ever speak out on global warming or climate change? And if so, what was the response you received from your colleagues?
1: Well, within the environment of the TV station itself, they all knew that I was, uh, that I challenged. I was challenged the global warming concept. As a matter of fact, anytime we had a story on global warming, I would go back and check it. And I would, if I saw they were doing something uh, that uh, wasn't really true, then I challenged that. And I remember one of the meteorologists there or one of the forecast, foreca- <laughs> no, no, no. One of the reporters came to me one time and said, Neil, um, I just don't agree with what, uh, what you're telling me. And I said, well, what is your background in meteorology? He said, well, I took a basic course in meteorology when I got my degree in broadcasting. And I said, so you're challenging somebody that has a PhD <laughs> in meteorology with your one course. And so the, the attitude within the environment of the TV station was they supported the activist position, but I was able to challenge them and nobody, nobody while I was on the air ever challenged me and said, you cannot go on the air and uh, challenge global warming. Could you tell us the story about Dr. Joanne Simpson? She,
0: of course, first woman to have a PhD in meteorology. You worked with her, you worked with her husband at the National Hurricane Center. But I recall that uh, the scientific community was shocked when she finally came out saying that she was skeptical of this theory of global warming.
1: Well, they went to Washington DC and she was one of the premier uh, meteorologists in in NASA at that time. And she was very careful about any statements about global warming. But when she retired, she she said, I'm now free to make the statement that I want to make and I want you to know I'm a skeptic.
0: Talk to us about CO2. It's it's essential for life. Right. Why
1: do you think it's so vilified, doctor? Yeah. Now let's talk about carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is a very minor 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 gas. <laughs> okay? As you've put out in your book, it's point 04% of the atmosphere. Now, I've seen a number of references that in, that show just what that really means. I like to use the one about the football stadium in Dallas. It holds 100,000 people. If you assign a molecule of air to every one of those seats, you would end up with 70,000 plus nitrogen seats. You would end up with 20,000 uh, plus oxygen seats maybe 2000 uh, water vapor seats, there would only be 40, 40 seats. That's 0.04% of the atmosphere or 400 parts per million. And I don't think 40 seats are gonna control the atmosphere in a football stadium uh, where there's a football game, nor do I believe that 0.04% of the atmosphere is gonna control the global temperature it is a very minor minor gas
0: so and it's so, almost as if dr Neal, it's almost as if they they have the tail wagging the dog absolutely
1: i, I mean, you know, even if we double that it we, right now we're about 400 parts per million if you double it it only goes to 80 seats <laughs> you know again <laughs> 80 seats is a very small number of seats in a 100,000 seat stadium uh, but the other thing that is very, very important is it is a miracle gas, as I like to call it. Mm-hmm. Without carbon dioxide, all plants die, and that means all humans die. Uh, the carbon dioxide levels for the last 10,000 years have averaged in the range of two in the 200s, maybe average 250 or two, something like that. Well, it's raised up now to 400. Um, I don't know whether people know this or not, but if the carbon dioxide levels ever drop below 180, all plants die. And we were very close to that at times during the last 10,000 years. So it's interesting now that it's up to 400. And what we're finding is that there is a significant greening of the planet that we think is because of carbon dioxide. There is so
0: much more to this interview with Dr. Neil Frank, and I will present the rest of the interview in just a few weeks. And I will also include his very engaging Christian story of how a man who was a scientist was out to prove scientifically that there was no God, and you'll find out how that worked for him. (laughs) Because it actually worked out very well. He ended up having a complete spiritual transformation in his quest to prove there was no God. So we'll get to that a little bit later. Again, uh, Dr. Frank, thank you so much for your wonderful endorsement of my upcoming book, Climate Cult. I will let you know when you're able to hear the rest of this delightful interview. Thanks for joining me, everyone. I appreciate you so much. God bless you. God bless the United States of America. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching.